Hello, curiosity seekers. Welcome to Dissecting Medical History. I'm Ange. I'm a travel nurse, medical history enthusiast, and your host. If you're looking for a storytelling formatted podcast with fun and fascinating topics on history and bios, then you are in the right spot. Please note this is not in any way medical advice. If you have anything that's ever discussed in any of the podcast episodes, please seek medical attention. Now, let's get this story started. Hello. Today, I am with Viv again. Good morning. <laughs> Good, Good morning. afternoon. We're in two different time zones. Um, today's topic, I have to say, made me very excited because it's so rare. Like, I had never heard of it before. I was doing research on something else and came across it and thought, oh my gosh, I need to know more about this. It's a pandemic that happened during the Spanish flu. So the Spanish flu was like 1918, right? Mm-hmm. This is the, this pandemic um, was, is called the sleeping sickness. And it was around the same time, but it didn't kill as many people as the Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. And it uh, was kind of um, not really understood at the time. Um, it mimicked other things and whatnot, so it was a little harder to diagnose. But it's it's extremely fascinating, and so I started doing more research on it and got further and further down this rabbit hole of it. And um, and so it was related to the Spanish flu, or just during no, the same time? it just happened at the same time. Oh, so okay. it was a pandemic, so it did get it was worldwide. Oh, wow, it did okay. affect. Yeah, it was a virus. Um, And it did affect millions of people and millions died. But because the Spanish flu was so much bigger, Mm -hmm. um, it kind of got lost in that. It's like if, um, you know how COVID is really big right now, this big pandemic Mm -hmm. that we're going through. And then other little things happen, like those mosquitoes, um, those killer mosquitoes. You oh, no. Those? There's going to be a bunch of, oh, no, I, I haven't heard of that. <laughs> like, like that. Um, well, you'll have to look it up. But um, okay. like All that, right. that's a big deal. But then, but it gets buried kind of under the bigger pandemic. Right. So, um, but this was a real thing. And um, it's related to Parkinson's disease, which is why I had you look up Parkinson's. Yes, and I so did that. that. You, I crashed course. Right <laughs> crash course. You can do Wikipedia, <laughs> but it's related in that it's the same area of the brain. Okay. Now there is another. There is another thing called sleeping sickness. Um, it's called African sleeping sickness, and that's completely different. And that's like actually current thing, but it's that's more of like a parasite bite, and it it affects. Um, bloodstream whereas this was affecting the actual brain it's a brain infection so the real name for sleeping sickness is encephalitis lethargica encephalitis means um, inflammation of the brain Mm -hmm. 
And so we do like at work, I do get patients that might have some type of encephal encephalitis or, um, or swelling of the brain or whatever. Um, but this was like an infection and then lethargica means, um, like drowsy, uh, stupor. So the pandemic was between 1916 and 1926. So it only lasted about a decade and nobody knows to this day how it works or why like nobody knows there is no cure there's um it's it's uh it is so it's kind of, I'm going to relate back to covid a lot because that's what we know now sort of mm-hmm. I mean we don't know mm-hmm. no but <clears throat> um nobody knows the full extent of it like covid could affect somebody systemically like me with my lungs um but the other like other things um covid could affect someone um their kidneys or people were getting blood clots or um it it hurts the heart I and mean, there's so many other things and nobody has that whole picture right so it was kind of like that but it also got misdiagnosed a lot because it mimicked parkinson's um it also mimicked a lot of other things no two people had the same symptoms. So, uh, and it would strike down really quickly, like, like kind of like a flu where you're just suddenly sick. Um, so it just, it lasted 10 years or, and then it just, it, yeah, the pandemic was 10 years long and then it just kind of disappeared. There was one case where they didn't, um, in 2015, there was a boy that had gotten HIV and, they thought his symptoms mimicked this um, this um, the sleeping sickness, but they didn't want to say it was sleeping sickness. So since this pandemic, there's only been 80 known cases. Okay, in comparison, the Spanish flu and was infecting, had infected 500 million people and killed about 17 million people. This sleeping sickness affected about 5 million people. So it was a small percentage, but 5 million, 5 million people is still a lot of people. Yeah. The average age that would be infected was between 10 and 45. But one of the patients that, um, that I saw that I read about had gotten it at 18 months. Was it 18 months or 30 months or something like that? They were really young. One was a two year old, and one was um, 30 months. I don't know how many years that is. <laughs> it was a couple years old. Uh, but they were, okay. they were both kind of walking and talking at that point. Yeah, when they're they, little toddlers. Right. right. Um, it, it, it first appeared in Romania during the World War I. Move, they were moving through Romania. So that was kind of like the first known case. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was a doctor from Vienna. Um, Dr. Konstantin von Eknomio, I don't know how to say his name, Eknomino. I'm so sorry, Italian people. I'm horrible at pronunciation. Um, He first realized that he was seeing all these patients with very unique sets of symptoms that didn't fit diagnoses that they were being admitted for or seen for. Um, And they would call it epidemic uh, schizophrenia, epidemic Parkinson's, Parkinsonism, um, 
and all kinds of others. They were like, um, they also were calling it shaky palsy um, and things like that. So he was noticing all these different changes. And so he um, ended up writing a paper about it. And he also studied the brain and he could see there was differences going on. He could see there were similarities between these patients, but also um, he could he could see there was a lot of differences as well. So, how, how at that time, like how was he seeing it? Like after they he, passed away? Yeah, he would do autopsies of okay. their, and look at their brain, and that was back in um, the early like nineteen twenties. So he he could see that there was evident brain tra- changes. Um, okay, so a third of the people that got infect got affected. They would die in the acute stages, usually because they were in deep sleeps or they wouldn't, you know, eat or drink or they would. Okay, so let me go into what's happening to them. So unlike the Spanish flu, where pretty much symptoms are the same, (laughs) flu-like symptoms and whatnot. And it did seem like sometimes patients would get the flu, they would survive the flu, and then they were susceptible to other things. But again, nobody knows how you contracted the sleeping sickness. So, but it's just a theory that maybe the immune system was just primed for getting something like this. And like there was one girl who was in an orphanage with 200 other people. She's the only one that got it. So it wasn't like, it wasn't, didn't seem contagious. It just seemed like this random thing in the air I don't know it was really it's really crazy and there was a lot of people a few that I'd read about whose families thought well they deserved it God punished them and gave them this sickness although that seems kind of sad because then the family has to take care of them and then so it's like really the family being punished not the patient (laughs) but anyway so there's different stages of this so the acute the acute stage Like I said, no two were the same, but a lot of similarities. So the reason they called it the sleeping sickness is because they would get extremely sleepy, like extremely. They were arousable. Most of the time they could get them to eat or drink or whatever. But for the most part, they were just, it was like a narcolepsy. They would just sleep. And so that was another reason. But the opposite could happen too, where they wouldn't stay awake. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't sleep. They were, they they were like, had all this energy and they wouldn't stop talking or they wouldn't stop moving or they just had insomnia. And sometimes that killed them. And so they would, they would not sleep for like two weeks and then they would die. Wow. So it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. There's a lot of other things like, um, they could, um, they would start having tremors or they would start having this where they would fix on something and couldn't, couldn't take their gaze away or they would be stuck in a position kind of called blocking where they, um, couldn't move from that point. And I'll talk about some of those other symptoms later, but in the beginning it did seem there would be fevers, it could be flu-like symptoms things like that. And That's so, interesting because it's all because it's it's in the brain. It can 
that's why it's like however your body can respond so differently you know like whenever mm -hmm. you, all the it controls a lot of yeah. the voluntary movements so it's like i want to pick up this pen but my body's like nope hmm. or the body is like it wants you to scratch your nose but it keeps telling you to do it over and over over and over yeah any alien conspiracies you can cut that out i have not read any <laughs> but uh that doesn't mean it's not true um so the reason it's like Parkinson's, okay, so Parkinson's is a, it's a neurogenetic disorder, right? It affects, it, it affects predominantly like dopamine production of the, um, mm -hmm. and the producing neurons and whatnot. Do, dopamine is extremely important to our bodies. And, um, some of the symptoms for Parkinson's, uh, is like the tremors mainly at rest, but when the person goes to pick up something or do something, the tremor kind of stops. Um, bradykinesia, that's like where you're slowly moving. Um, and then limb rigidity, where the limbs kind of just turned, I wouldn't say to steel or stone, but very hard to move. Mm -hmm. um, and then they'd have gout, uh, not gout, they'd have gait and balance problems. Mm -hmm. um, just some problems walking and whatnot. Um, there is no cure for Parkinson's, but um, there is medication to help slow it down. And one of those is um, L-DOPA. It's a long name. Leva de hydroxyphenylalanine. It's a very long word. There's like 20 letters or something. Anyway, they just call it L-DOPA. And so it's in con they I have never given L-DOPA without a combination so I don't think they make it anymore, which is probably good after I tell you all the what happens. But oh, okay. um, <laughs> so um, it kind of needs another something. So it helps Parkinson's patients with their with their symptoms and kind of slows the progression down. Um, it is it is kind of a dopamine um, derivative kind of medication. But yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it's 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 a sad it's a sad disorder. And I was reading that sometimes they, like, I do have, I've had patients with Parkinson's that get a little impatient and, and whatnot. And after reading all this, I, I'm wondering if the impatience is because they're trying to say or do something, because it also slows speech and they can't say it and they just get frustrated or if it is part of the mental process, because a lot of these patients that I read about too, their mindset changes a little bit too. So someone who used to be really nice ends up being later really angry. There was a lady from Poland who was like, got infected when she was in her early 20s and then just became very hostile, angry. They, her family pretty much shipped her off to the Americas to go to this hospital because she was she was a tyrant to the villagers <laughs> she lived wow. in. and so and she like like she was a good person but on top and I think she knew that because she's always being like she was like both sides of the coin but mm -hmm. she was real hostile she would you know just get very angry and demanding and whatever so I think there's a mental aspect to it as well as a physical aspect to it but mm -hmm. those are all the later stages the acute stages are more of like the physicalness and the sleeping and all that. But anyway, for back to Parkinson's. So they call the sleeping sickness a Parkinsonism 
like syndrome. So it's under Parkinson's because it's the mm-hmm. same. It affects the same area of the brain. Um, kind of works the same, but to a farther extent. You know what I mean? Like it's Parkinson's um, um, is like mild compared it, to what. And it's people, like slow progressing, right? Whereas slow this progressing. One is... Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but that doesn't mean that you can't develop Parkinson's later as well. And maybe there is a, a, you know, a way to, um, um, I don't know, I don't know if that's known, but there, there are patients that had, ended up with Parkinson's later. Not, okay. You can oh, have, you're talking about like, it doesn't have to be slow progressing. You can get it later and then it'd be, I'm kind of confused. Okay. <laughs> so what I mean is like Parkinson's, okay, just for Parkinson's, if you had the sleeping sickness when you were young. Mm-hmm. You, it's possible to get Parkinson's later oh. in life. Like your uh, because, susceptibility goes Right. Up, or, yeah. Yeah, is that the, yeah. But that's just <laughs> another theory. The So the patients oh. that got mm-hmm. the sleeping sickness, they either, there was, like I said, everybody was different. But uh, if you didn't die from it, then you could have just an acute stage and then never have a problem again in your life. Like it doesn't affect you again later. The other, the other way is that you got over it, but then years later developed the post, um, encephalitis, um, disorder. Like it affects you like, okay, for instance, there was a person who had gotten, who'd gotten it, then was fine, lived, worked, worked, um, for years and then suddenly started getting tremors and then started having rigidity started having, cause a lot of them will turn to stone. They have like, they, their arms start to like, almost like arthritis, like where you start to just come in on yourself. You just start to get rigid. You can't move or, or you'll start to have trances where you start to stare at something and you can't look away. Or mm-hmm. some people would, they have, they call it a crisis. They start to, they their face, their eyes deviate upward and they can't let go and they get stuck in this, in this stone position. And it can last like, I think most people, um, it's like eight to 12 hours and they're just stuck in that position. And, um, and there's different kinds of crises. And we'll talk about that later, but, um, but they develop later though. None of these things really happened in the acute phase. The acute phase is more of like that flu-like weird part. Yeah, you know, and, uh, with Parkinson's, when I was looking it up, it was talking about how there's like a percentage that is hereditary, but then otherwise uh, there's like no link. And yeah. I'm like, is this so similar that maybe it marked the the genes? And then maybe oh. if we looked into our, you know, like who we're, we're related to, like did it imprint? And that's why you can pass it down and we don't. Okay. So I don't know. Well, Parkinson's has been around or the shaking palsy has been around since like early, like gallon, um, gallon oh, the time. record, like record yeah, of Greeks from the Greek time. So there are, there are, um, there are cases of it. And so, yeah, I, I, I know it's been around, but this, this specific sleeping sickness is very <clears throat> extreme and different than than Parkinson's. Yeah, I wonder if that because you know they're they're trying to find 
But then why did it go away? Oh, with the virus thing, yeah. Um, Right? I mean, like, if it was something that was changing our genes. I wonder if those people who did get it, were they susceptible to Parkinson's? Like, they were already, you know, primed for it. And then maybe that's why it was, like, that one orphan out of 200. And, of course, somebody who's going to school for this are like, why is she saying all these ideas? Like, she doesn't know anything about (laughs) a It's a crazy (laughs) mystery for sure. In 1817, there was a guy named James Parkinson who first detailed the malady in um, an essay. And so that's the first time it was recognized as an actual disease. Mm -hmm. But then later on in 1861, it took that long, there was a guy named um, Charcot from France, and he started to study it more. He's known as the father of neurology. Mm-hmm. Um, but he named it after Parkinson's after he started studying it. He did do a lot of studying on it. He didn't, I don't think he did any of the dissecting of the brain like, um, the guy in Vienna, but he definitely was studying it as a disease. And then by the time the epidemic came around, then this other doctor was the one that started to do more research and realized it was similar to Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay. So Back to the sleeping sickness. So, like I said, it did affect a lot of people. That doctor wrote a paper about it. And that that doctor and led um, published it. And then there was like 9,000 other papers that were published. Because other doctors were starting to notice. Or they read his paper and then were starting to realize that this, this was something special or different. But... Some of the other, di- like they would think the patient would get diagnosed as like meningitis because there was things like headaches and, or it was MS where they, they did have some musculature deformities, but like I said, things, sometimes it would go away or delirium. Um, one, one, a couple of people that I read about, they had a loss, like their father had died. And so people were like, oh, it's just shock. They're in hmm. shock. But one of them lasted a year. So she wasn't in shock for a year. But then she just never got better. Hmm. So it, I mean, it, like I said, it affected everybody. The acute, the acute phase also would have like, I told you it had like flu-like symptoms um, and the movement disorders. But the chronic, okay. So if you survived the acute phase and you could get better, like I said, for a little while. The chronic stage occurred either months to years later. And it was kind of similar to uh, Parkinson's type symptoms. There's three in, okay, so most of the research I did was by this doctor named Oliver Sacks. And he's got a book called Awakenings where he describes these patients that he had seen. I think there were 70 patients, if I believe, if I'm remembering that right. And he did some experimental drugging on them. Now, it wasn't like he just came up with this L-DOPA thing and was ever whatever, but he saw that they were using L-DOPA for Parkinson's patients and it was successful. And so because this is similar to Parkinson's, he thought he could use it. So makes sense. Right. And so (laughs) he ended up writing this book about the experiences of these patients that he put this medication on. Mm -hmm. And normally when a doctor writes a paper, it's like in a medical journal and it's full of 
you know, over your head type things, <laughs> right? But mm-hmm. he wrote it as in a, he wrote it kind of, it's, it's kind of a twofer. It's like, um, I'm, I'm a nurse. I know a lot of medical terminology. I still have to look up some things, but this book, I had to look up a lot. Like I seriously had to look up a lot. In fact, there, there's words for things that I never knew there was words for. Like, um, hold on. I have a note here somewhere about this word. Where is it? Okay. Well, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a, there's a word for, oh, there's a word for when you're, you know, when you're really drowsy and your eyelids just start to droop and you Mm -hmm. can't help it. They're so heavy, right? Have you ever been that tired? Yeah. There's a word for that. (laughs) There's a word for the heavy, the heavy (laughs) where you can't keep them open. There's a word for that. And I don't know what I did with that word, but anyway, (laughs) I, I had to look it up because I was like, what is, what is this? Yeah, it just means um, having a hard time opening your eyes. That's interesting. What if he's just making up words? He's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I really want somebody to be reading this in the future and just be like, there was a word for that? Yeah, and there's a word there for go. everything. <laughs> I remember when we used to work together before, um, way back, right? There was a girl mm-hmm. that we worked with and she said, um, I remember her saying, she she was like, I'm going to name the back of my knee this. She's like, I don't, there's no name for it. I'm going to make it up. I'm going to make a name for it. And I said, there is a name. It's called Poplittle. And she's like, she was so disappointed <laughs> that there was a name that for it already. very familiar. And I don't. <laughs> she was so disappointed. <laughs> I was like, no, there's a name for everything. Oh, and no. She was so, yeah, she was. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe even disappointed that she didn't think to look up right. if there was already a name yeah, for it. Yeah, she was disappointed that uh, <laughs> she didn't become famous. Like, no one else thought to name the back of her Oh, name. my goodness. Okay. But anyway, um, I, I love that story. Anyway, so um, so in the chronic phase, there's different forms. The most common is, like, the dazed and confused, overwhelming desire to sleep, easily aroused, though. And, and still aware of the surroundings. And and so, like, fi- but there's like a 50% mortality rate, they said. So not everybody, like, the the book takes place in the 19, 1960s to early 70s. So the people that were infected, I already told you, were like that first, that decade between 1916 um, and 1926, right? Mm-hmm. So those people are much older by the time they were mm-hmm. getting this this treatment but so if they survive that long then you know then they would they got they were they were worse than they were before so things would progress it wasn't like they just suddenly turned to stone and they weren't part mm-hmm. of society or whatever but they would see i feel like i'm all over the place this is this this disease is so complex that I feel like I'm all over the place, so I apologize so, if it seems no, confusing. It's fine. It's the degeneration of the of the part of the brain, right? Like, yeah, it's it's the lack of the dopamine, and oh, okay, it affects okay. it affects things. It affects each person differently. So, not only does it affect the muscles and and whatnot, it's affecting the thought as well. So, mm. 
like the other, like they could have um, another form was like the hyperkinetic. So they would be like manic where they couldn't stop. So some people couldn't walk. It'd be really slow. And some Mm -hmm. people couldn't stop. They'd have to run everywhere or their speech was really rapid. Like mine is right now. It'd Mm. be really fast or one lady had fast calculations. She could do math in her head really quickly Mm. and, and go backwards. So like she can take seven away from a hundred, except in the book, she said, she had to keep going because it had to be a round number. So she would subtract it like from 600. And then he, she was doing an EEG was where they read the brain. They put these little things on your brain to see the spikes. And you could see a spike for each time she thought of the number, which was in rapid succession. <laughs> and that was, is that to get the dopamine? Like, No, this has nothing to do with dopamine. This is p- pre-dopamine. Oh, you mean, no, they're in a lack of dopamine in the brain. Yeah. No, they're, they're a lack of, um, the brain isn't producing it. Mm-hmm. So you kind of need it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not getting into that because it's very technical. But I, the brain is so complex and it's one of my worst subjects, to be honest. Oh, great. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's fascinating. But like in school, the brain is so complex. That's why I like the heart. That's why I'm a heart nurse because it's a little more straightforward. There's, it's a little mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. it's a little easier if it's electrical problem, you know what I mean? Or if it's like a chemical problem, like those for me, like it's easier. And even the digestive system, it's like so literally straightforward. Yeah. I think uh, the brain or the neurology brain, is like, it has to be more theory than not because well, no, at people least don't it, know. Yeah. It's yeah. so unknown. It's like, it's kind of like the universe. You don't like, there's so much vastness to it. People mm-hmm. still don't know. Um, but anyway, so this is not my strong, strongest subject, but it is fascinating. <laughs> I do. But you were like, let's do an episode let's on it. Let's do an like- episode on the brain. <laughs> yeah. Let's make it as complex as possible so I can look like an idiot. But um, anyway, okay, so the hyperkinetic could also be like jerky movements, twitches, vocalization a lot of it's a lot of times it's vocalization where they can't stop themselves from saying things over and over or saying things out loud um a lot of times people would say something and they'd be they would repeat it over and over like um i want water i want water i want water or something they just keep repeating things sometimes they just scream or yell sometimes they get really excited and they um get overstimulated and they get excited and they'll they'll scream then there's like jaw and eye movement. So they're constantly moving their jaw or like they're chewing or um, grinding or um, or whatnot. The other thing is like their, their heads will start to come in or start to turn in a certain way and they can't, it kind of gets locked. Some of the, some people will have muscles that will contract and never get better. Some people will contract but can be moved passively and then like if they put them to bed, they can straighten them out kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, they don't get stuck in that contractor. Because once you're contracted, the tendons get pretty much cemented. And then it's kind of like you need surgery to reverse it. Wow. There's also... And this is all sad that it was like a sickness. Like did anybody... Uh, did you get, run into anything about um, getting put to like into a mental hospital like oh yeah that's where they put them so there was even the the hospital that they're that the these patients 
that I'm going to talk about are in a hospital uh, at Mount Carmel that this doctor went to. And he, mm, it was, it was called the, the name of it was like called uh, hospital for the, the, some, the, the something in the dying. Oh, I can't remember the whole name, but it was like the, but it was pretty much like where you went to die, the disabled and dying. And they kind of just would put you like the lady from Poland. They shipped her out there. They put her in the basement and there was kind of like a lot of them were just, I wouldn't say forgotten. This hospital sounded like they took really good care of these patients. Mm -hmm. And they kind of, I mean, they're a lot of work because sometimes if the patient just gets up and starts running, they, they, they don't stop running until there's an obstacle, like a door or a wall or something. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure there was so many nurses and orderlies that were like so busy and they had to take care of them. Now, also, the patients were kind of aware of what was going on, even though they were in this catatonic state where it seemed oh, like they weren't uh-huh. there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm wondering, like, I kept thinking there's going to be some story about a patient. It was like, that nurse was really mean. I remember you. But because they can't, so they can be prompted. This is This is the chronic stage. This is like all like later on when they're pretty much being taken care of by these hospitals. Now, some, some patients would stay home until they couldn't anymore. Like some mothers and whatnot, usually it was a mother would take care of a patient until they were unable to take care of that patient anymore. Or they needed so much care that they, you know, they just needed extra help because there was some that got their mothers would come to the hospital for 10 hours a day and baby and take care of that patient anyway, even though they were in a hospital. Yeah. And then they would go home. There's this, this book is called Awakenings. It's a really good book. But like I said, there's a lot of medical terminology <laughs> that I had to look up a lot of stuff. But at the same time, it was like a story in story format. Mm-hmm. So that's when I'm earlier, I said it was like a twofold type of book. It's like this story but it's like a medical journal at the same time. Mm-hmm. So in these chronic phases, for instance, um, there was, there's patients that would have jobs and they would, one, one lady was playing tennis, was social. One guy, he used to be on all these boards. Uh, he used to have a, a business. He's very successful. But then things just kept getting worse and worse till they just couldn't move anymore. One guy was pretty much robotic and he had a routine and like he went to work, but then he got slower and slower after like 20 years and they let him go. His routine got broken. And that was another thing like where that, that girl's father died and she just got worse. It's kind of the same thing where he got worse. They withdraw, they get depressed. There's a lot of cycle. It's not just physical. It's psychological too. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have like depression or withdrawn, or just these crazy changes of mood. And it said that those that were that were affected as children younger were more psychologically affected. There was a girl that was eight years old who they said that children uh, end up self-mutilating as well oh, no. more often than adults. She extracted all her own teeth and took out both her own eyes. No, yeah, my goodness. At eight. So there was a lot of psychotic um, manifestations 
um, yeah. in this chronic phase, not not so much the acute phase. And like mm-hmm. I said, the chronic could be like years later. Like mm-hmm. sometimes they would have feelings of euphoria, um, hallucinations, sex drive um, was elevated. It was just it, one of those things where it was just so many different, so many different symptoms. Like it's just so difficult to know, like to pin down all of this as a disorder. But like I said, they... Ooh, it's it's quite a bit. So this doctor, this doctor was studying that L-DOPA and seeing, okay, it works on Parkinson's. And he tried it on, he wanted to try it on his patients. So he, he tried it on this guy named Leonard. And I don't know if the, the names are all the same or changed in the mm-hmm. book, but there is a movie called Awakenings that Robin Williams and Robert De Niro did. Back in 1990, <laughs> a long time ago. It's a classic now, <laughs> but it's actually a really good movie. And if you get a chance to see it, you'll all of this will be put together. You'll understand all of the symptoms I'm talking about. Because, like I said, it's very different for each person. But the 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 movie has this the main one of the main patients. His name is Leonard. Now his story from the book is a little different. But he pretty much the same. He got it when he was really young. His mother was taking care of him. But he was very smart and he could, he read a lot. So people could turn the page and he could read. So even though he was kind of catatonic and he couldn't talk, a lot of them can't talk. A lot of them can talk sometimes, like when they're prompted to, if they're asked a question. And they show intelligence. They, they're very smart. A lot of these patients are just very smart. But they will talk to the doctor because the doctor's doing these interviews like therapy whatever and they'll they'll talk to them this guy did not talk but he would use a a like a letter board like a to to tap out his uh answers of questions and he was kind of he would do like cryptic or shorthand or whatever so it was kind of difficult the the some patients could whisper but it took a lot of effort because they had to force themselves. So the doctor, this is all before they got L-DOPA. They, you know, like the doctor was like, there's there's a guy in here. There's a smart, very intelligent guy in here who is saying like he's tr- he feels trapped. He feels trapped in this body. And that, that could have been why he was so prompted to try this, this drug mm-hmm. in the first place. Because he started realizing that these people aren't just statues. There's somebody inside. Mm-hmm. And most patients couldn't get that out, but this guy Leonard was saying, I feel trapped. Like I'm in a room with windows, but no doors. He just feels. So it was probably out of all of the patients I read about, he was the most expressive of what was going on on the inside. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them um, later would say they felt, they feel like, like a void, they don't feel anything. They'll just, one person was like, I stared at this wall and I, I just got lost in thoughts of a happy childhood moment or all their thoughts were just on that spot on the wall. It was just consumed by the spot. They had no feelings one way or the other about anything about what was going on with them. One of the other things too is 
expressions it's like sometimes they said that Leonard would have a smile on his face and it would just be stuck on there for hours a lot of people had grimacing faces or they just had this face that was stuck so yeah it was just really like like I said there's so there's so many symptoms I don't even know how to go over them in like one episode of this program but he did decide um, this guy Leonard was the first one he did the L-Dopa on and and even the amounts that he used were experimental because he there is no there is no guide to this. There's not like any precedent to other people using it on these post encephalotic patients. So, yeah. So they started him on it. And now every he did a lot of a lot of he put a lot of patients on it in the movie. He put he used Leonard first. And then he decided to use it on the rest of the patients. And on the movie, he did them all at once. Like down the row, he was giving them these meds. But that wasn't really the reality, which is probably really good because then. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. people, it's called awakening because they kind of woke up. He gave them the L-Dopa. And Leonard was able to start standing up. With assistance, he was, started walking he was talking. He was like not tremoring. He didn't get stuck. He was like awake. He was like euphoric. It was so amazed and amazing. And he could dress himself. Before that, his mother was putting, they call them nappies. The doctor, Dr. Sachs is um, English. So a lot of the writing had like the English pronunciations or uh, um, spellings. And so he called them nappies, which we call diapers here. But anyway, his mother would do that. He could dress himself. He could do, um, he could shave. Like he, it, it was an awakening. He like went from catatonic stone to like functional. He could, he could turn the pages on his own book. He could brush his teeth. He could shave. He could do all of these things. And it was an amazing, it was amazing. It was a miracle. And he the the thing about Leonard, like I said, he was really smart. He would read books and he would remember things. So he would he was going over poetry and all kinds of stuff. He was he was quite fascinating. There was a lot of hope for this drug, like you know that that um, okay, we need to try it on these other people. He tried it on other people, and they also had an awakening. Now, sometimes it didn't always work right away. Sometimes it would be within days. Sometimes it'd take a couple weeks. But, and not all, it didn't work on everybody. But for the majority of them, they became awake. They were able, they were like, there's like no other word to describe it. Mm-hmm. They came alive. And they, at first, were so excited and euphoric and and felt unlocked, felt alive i'm like nervous because i think he said something like you hinted at the well so because the drug is uh it's unstable to a degree where it needs that other drug to help Mm -hmm. like a combo but back then they didn't have that and i don't even know now like like i said these people are probably all dead because this is back in the (laughs) okay 1960s they're all dead now (laughs) it's a downer (laughs) okay they did they didn't live to be 120 so but anyway so (laughs) so they uh, because a lot of these were like 
cases that were early on in the early 1900s like because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know yeah anyway because this is 1960s the the problem okay so the problem was trying to find the right dose when you take the lo- dopa away you can have withdrawals and then they would end up going back or worse than they were before they started taking the ladopa mm. so he for for leonard so it works to a point, and then I think they get used to it, and then they need more or they need less, depending on what's go- happening. In Leonard's case, he started getting paranoid. He started getting angry. Um, he started getting um, ticks, and ticks could be like anything from a movement or like where you keep touching something or you have to touch something or. Just something you have to do over and over, a tapping or, you know, some type of tick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, but so he was having these, they would take him off the drug. They'd have to wait till he was out of that withdrawal. And then um, he got to a point, well, in Leonard's case, another thing that happens, especially if they were an adolescent when they got the disease and never had sex before. Well, and it's not always just them either, but he had never had sex and his libido was increased. Like he was being lewd. He was chronic masturbating, exposing himself. Now that wasn't in the movie because it's Robert De Niro and he was classy. Yeah. But. (laughs) but, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. So that's another thing is the libido, the sexual thing. A lot of the patients, there was one that was really young who was like, wanted to get set up with a brothel or something <laughs> and Leonard's like do you think you can get the nurses to service me to help me at night or whatever and the doctor's oh my like gosh. yeah no and so there was those kinds of things and it got to the point where they ended up having to put him in with the crazy people um but then they would withdraw he became like they took him on the L-Dopa and then they're like okay here's the crazy thing some of the patients didn't do so well like at first they would, like I said, they were awake and it was like glorious and it was a miracle and they felt like they were unstoppable and there was all this energy and whatever. Some didn't, some, some had problems like respiratory issues where they would gasp or they would stop breathing. Yeah. And they would just like, (gasps) and then until they were like their body forced it out to force the breathing, but like their mind was telling him not to breathe. And they knew they couldn't or whatever. Or they'd have these, they call them crises where they they had these uncontrollable whatever symptom it was. Like the where their eyes were looking up or where they were just turned to stone and they couldn't move or just but in a bad, like the crises could be pretty bad. There was one lady, I thought, there was two of them actually that had crises on Wednesdays. <laughs> one had crises only on Wednesdays, eight hours long. For 20 years. Wow. Like, isn't that strange? Why Wednesday? And how does the body knows it's Wednesday? Does she know it's Wednesday? Can you tell it's not Wednesday and it won't happen? It like, depends on it's the experiments really, they did. Yeah. If they, if they I don't know. <laughs> they were very, he was very detailed and things like that. Like one lady, she would fall. She would get very drowsy. That's where I learned about the word with the heavy, heavy eyelids. Mm-hmm. She would get tired between 5 and 6.30 in the afternoon. Were to the point where she had to take a nap. She couldn't help it. 
but every well, day like there there is a you know that like circadian rhythm type thing like yeah your brain does that, some, or like we have processes for certain things that maybe like i guess got tapped into and right it's all connected in the brain right yeah yeah so it's really crazy like it's just so crazy some of these yeah i just it's so so anyway so the l-dopa would work for a while and then they have to start weaning it back or stop it all together because because sometimes all of these side effects were worse than than what they were trying to fix and then he would start it again a lot of times the patients would ask to have it started again but it, it always seemed it always seemed to not be as great as the first time they would do it again and they would try to find that middle ground some people they just could never find the middle ground it was either all or nothing and they would they would just keep like a lot of these patients did continue to take it for years once they found like a dose but they were never they were never quite as awake as they were when they were uh doing the first um, yeah when it's like the when first it was in the beginning yeah yeah they always ended up having like i said with leonard he everything was gone there was actually another patient the one i told you about who had um who was in society and everything. He actually was the only patient that he checked himself in. He was the only patient that left, but within six months he got way worse and ended up coming back. Hmm. And he, but after getting on the drug and yeah, he was on, and then yeah. having to come back, he had stayed there for nine months on the drug and it was working well. Things were, and he was functional, went, to, went home. But then he just got worse and then he ended up coming back. And of course he felt humiliated at that point because there was a big fanfare. He left. He was the only person. Oh. But then he came back. And that was hard on the other patients because they're like, if he came back. Oh no, he was there as, you know, yeah, what they he were was, aspiring to. Yes. And so they're like, if, he, you know, if he's back, then what's going to happen to us? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them did go back to maybe not some, some were back to where they were. And then some were maybe better off than they were before. A few of them just, they just had to take them off of it because they was just like some of the psychotic things like depression um, was. So they had this euphoric in the beginning and then they would end up like really depressed later, withdrawn and like, or angry or anxious or like it just was the opposite effect. And I think one of the things I kept reading over and over was when they woke up, they had all of these feelings because a lot of these patients would say, I don't have, I didn't have any feelings when I was, when I was asleep, when I was like in the state, I didn't feel anything. And then all of a sudden they feel everything and they'll might be watching TV and something's funny and it's just, it causes a, it could cause a crisis because they're excited. They're laughing or an event could happen and then they're to become depressed or with like they just I think it was just too much maybe too fast mm. and oh, um yeah yeah you know so I can't imagine okay so you know you think about I don't know if you think about it but I when I'm reading about disorders and I think about what if I had that could I live with that what would I do this one would be really really tough like you're so dependent on other people and you're mm-hmm. stuck 
in this position or you can't move. You want to move, but you can't. Your body won't let you and you're just staring off into space. You don't feel anything. Some people did feel depression. One lady said she kept reliving childhood happy memories. So I guess that couldn't have been that bad. But um, I think this is one of those disorders that I do not think I would ever, ever, I would want to just die. I don't think I would mm-hmm. want to survive. And mm-hmm. a lot of them did feel suicidal or they just wanted to be let go. And another really weird thing is several of them knew they were going to die right before they died. One of them was saying goodbye to everybody and died that night. Just died in their sleep. Oh, my goodness. Like, what is the untapped? <laughs> yeah. uh, like, what is going on? Like, are we tapping into something that uh, maybe we don't have access to yet? And like, <laughs> maybe. That's, that eventually, we're supposed to lead to cataton. Oh, okay. Never mind. I'm no, going to stop but there. But I remember the other thing of- <laughs> in nursing school, when I was in uh, clinical and ICU, I had a patient who said she was going to die. And she did. Wow. Later that like, day. from what? Like, heart? No, let's see. I don't remember what she had. I remember she was intubated and she kept trying to excavate herself, which means to take it out, back out. Like intubate is like a tube down your throat to help you breathe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't die because she excavated herself, but she she kept saying she's gonna, she was going to die. And then she did. Weird. Like later that day. Weird. I know. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Other dimensions. It's really, okay. No, that's, it's really that's my, pi- <laughs> my part of this. But anyway, there were several people like that that were like, mm-hmm. they knew we were going to die and then they died. Yeah. No. And then there was like no specific cause of death. It was, it's crazy. Anyway. <laughs> what? So there's just so, there's so much. Like you lose control over everything else and maybe you only have control over that. Like, let me throw out some theories. Right. but this is this is a disease that i do not i don't think i would want i don't think i already like if we had a list of ones to choose from i i guess i would like to learn about each of them before (laughs) this one is yeah you got to choose (laughs) if you got to if you had to choose this reminds me when i we i was doing that um I was doing the episode of the executioners and we we're talking about torture. Oh yeah. Okay. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> if I had to choose my torture, <laughs> I would do the one with the massage. No, I, I, um, I don't think I like, and there's so many symptoms, like maybe I could pick and choose like, um, there's a disease right for everyone. You know, yeah. like, no, like there's a, that one person who's like, this sounds great. Like the catatonic. That's what I want. I would choose that. You don't have to. Yeah, but (laughs) the other thing is, like, I don't think I'd want to know what's going on around me either. Because if you can't talk back and you can't tell people what you need, like, I I always itch. There's one spot on my back that always itches. Always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I can't move and scratch that itch. Oh, my goodness. That would would drive you crazy. (laughs) Like, I would die. I would die. So I don't think uh, I would be able to handle being catatonic because I can't tell someone itch my back, please. That we spot, don't know till you know? we try. Right. You know, not yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that would be, that would be, well, when I had, I had a motorcycle accident and mm-hmm. I was in, <laughs> I was in the hospital and apparently I'm very allergic to morphine and they gave me 10 milligrams of morphine because I had been in the hospital. Well, since from the accident to when they gave me morphine was five hours 
and I had all these broken bones and I had road rash and I was like, my humerus, which is the arm, the upper arm was mm -hmm. cut all the way through. I thought it was dislocated, but cause it was a little painful. It hurt mm -hmm. a lot. So they gave me 10 milligrams of morphine. I was severely itching. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well I had, I couldn't move. <laughs> like I had, oh no, I couldn't uh -huh. move because I had all these splints and stuff. Yeah. And I was itching. Oh no. So that was worse than the pain. <laughs> it was worse than the Whoa. pain. So I couldn't do anything about it. It was just, it was the most miserable <laughs> time of my life. But so that would be, that would be my catatonic state where I'm just sitting there in splints, not being able to itch anything. So yeah. that's why I think that's why I can relate to like, this is not. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 You got a little taste of it. And mm, it was horrific. awful. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you're you're hearing other people around you, and they'd be like, "Oh, this girl, man, she won't, you know, she's she's pain in the ass." Or, like, uh, the other thing is, a lot of these patients would get paranoid, and that just part of their psyche, especially after they've been on the L-dopa for a little while, they would start to get all a lot of them would get paranoid. Oh no! And um, like paranoid, like like the what? that the staff was talking about them or. Um, okay. or they were just suspicious. One, one lady, um, she, and hallucinations is another thing. That's what I was going to say. I was like, not hallucinations too, right? Yeah. Hallucinations. Oh my goodness. I mean, that goes hand in hand with the brain, right? But yeah, hallucinations. Yeah. And so, um, they would feel that there's conspiracies and I mean, it was just, it gets pretty crazy. Yeah. That's all. Oh, that, Cause there's so many. Yeah. So that would be yeah. hard. Like if you're not only can you not move, but your brain is like just if you're seeing things. I know some people they say they can tell it's a hallucination. I uh, had a patient uh, a couple months ago. It was fascinating. She has she's like perfectly normal. Nobody knows why, but she has hallucinations. She just mm -hmm. has like she's she says that she has to have reality checks. Other people say that, you know, but she know she she'll know something's a hallucination, but she can't help it. But I think she they used to have guns in the house, and she'd see people in her window, and so they had to take the guns out in case she like was yeah. trying to shoot them. But yeah, she just for no reason have hallucinations. I thought it was fascinating. Like yeah. she'll say, "Yeah, I just see a dog over there," or or whatever. I they're saying like if you get too little sleep, your brain That's starts what I to asked her. try to have. Well, yeah, yeah, she says we. she'd been through all of those. The sleep studies. Yeah, all of the theories, all of the things. Like she just doesn't know why. She, now she just has to live with it. And there was a one of the patients that the in the book turned their hallucinations into, because a lot of them ended up having to live with the side effects of the L-DOPA mm -hmm. um, to continue using it so they could still function. And mm -hmm. one of, and she's just, she just knew that her, like her hallucination was specific. There was a man that would visit her on the stairwell every night. And so she knew by eight o'clock she had to be over there um, to visit her visitor. So she turned it into part of her narrative, part of her story, um, mm -hmm. rather than be scared of it or, or wait for some other hallucination or I don't know. But mm -hmm. it was really interesting how some of the patients would turn their problems into part of their story and part of their daily routine so that they just can manage. accept it so they can move on. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And some of them could start to control, but for the most part, things didn't always go well. 
and like I said, that the L-DOPA just stopped working eventually, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or it would get to them to a functional point, but they were never like they were in the beginning, in the beginning of their awakening. So it's, I mean, in that regard, it was pretty sad. In some cases, you know, things got so, so bad. Um, like one guy just kept getting more and more depressed and when they took him off of it, well, then he ended up, he ended up dying too, but yeah, so it's, 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 it's fascinating. Like this just, and some of the stories, like, like the one that I told you about was an orphan. That one was a really sad story because not before she got the year before she got sick, she got pushed off a bridge. <laughs> Kids. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> they weren't very nice to her. Anyway, she got pushed out and broke both legs. Oh, no. So the year later, when she got this disease, she was still mentally functional. She could finish high school. But as soon as she turned 18, that orphanage kicked her out to the hospital. And she just kept getting worse and worse. But because of her legs never healing properly, she ended up just not being able to walk. She had one leg was shorter than the other and whatnot. Oh, another, uh, like with Leonard, one mm -hmm. of his hands shrunk and he thought it was from, and that's a, one of the um, symptoms, I guess. One of the problems is the hand shrunk and uh, he thought it was from chronic masturbation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That lines up. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was the hand he was using? Okay. Well, that I, it was his dominant hand, I guess. It was his, Okay. But in the, so that movie, um, wait, that doesn't, okay, never mind. I'm not going to go there. But, um, <laughs> I know you think it'd be bigger, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly like the other hand would be, but then he might. Yeah. But okay. it's a punishment. God is shrinking it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not this strengthening it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. There was, there was parents that were like punishing their, or thought it was punishment. There's so many, I, I, there's so many of the stories that were fascinating to me and I wish I could just go over all of them because they're, they're really just, just, yeah, just fascinating. And I, I know I probably did not do this justice because like I said, there's so many symptoms. It's not like you could talk about one case study and then that, that is like the stereotype of the whole thing. Cause it's really not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but anyway like there's no just one description besides the fact that the same part of the brain was affected yeah pretty much yeah and just differently in every person like just like I said psychotic issues I feel like a lot of them were affected by the the psychosis in the same way a lot of them got depressed or panicked or anxious or some type of negative feelings after the L-DOPA, after the euphoric part wore off. And then mm -hmm. and a lot of them were euphoric in the beginning. So there is similarities in that. But like I said, not everybody was the same. Well, I mean, if the, it's like, if it's not, if your body's not producing it naturally and one of the things with Parkinson's that I saw was that you could some symptoms of it like 
coming up would be um, anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, like you would get those, that would be a symptom. Um, yeah, because if it's not producing enough dopamine, that that could affect your mood for mm-hmm. sure. It, I feel like too that the anger and rage part of that happened to those who got ill at a younger age. Because remember I mm-hmm. said that children were affected, their psychosis was affected a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that has to do with with that. Maybe they got, were, because they got it so young, maybe that's, you know, what happened. Yeah. Oh, I have an interesting fact for you. Well, it's not a fact. It's a theory. There's a couple theories. <laughs> that um, there's a theory that Adolf Hitler might have gotten the sleeping sickness. And that might have led him to, like. He when... ended up with Parkinson's. Well, I don't know if he was, com- like, it's really hard to, you know, like, there's always theories with when you go back in time mm-hmm. um, to people. But there is a theory that he had had Parkinson's. I'm pretty sure he had Parkinson's. But he, okay, so they they think that it was because it was a chronic effect from when he was younger that he might have had. And the reason they think that he might have had the sleeping sickness was because sometimes he did have that ocular gyric crisis where the eyes would deviate in his head. They would go Mm -hmm. up. And that's a phenomenon that only ha- is associated with the with um, the post encephalitic Parkinsonianism. That is interesting because I know he like there's reports of him being paranoid. Like he went through great lengths to make sure nobody was like like he could trust trust everybody. Basically, yeah. like it made people. He turn also had a each speech other. tick and mm-hmm. facial spasms and sleep mm-hmm. disorder. Mm. So he might have had like there were people out out there that had the chronic sleeping sickness but that weren't affected to the point where they were in the hospital needing to be cared for Mm -hmm. that's really interesting because i know um like well they like they're talking oh there's so many there's so many better people that know more about all of this than than i do but i know i've me too i've yeah there's (laughs) a what was it but at the end they were, they knew that they had to reserve their resources, but instead they just like, you know, on his order, like started to destroy more stuff and just create chaos. It wasn't somebody looking to win. It was somebody to, um, yeah, to just use up everything as fast as possible. Like they, you mean about it, that. in regard with Hitler, Hitler? Yeah. That at the end, like oh. it wasn't. Yeah, in the end, like, they ended up killing um, a whole, um, like, they, they sped up there uh, in the in the camps, like, the, the killings. Oh, the... Instead of, like, using the hol- people The Holocaust, for, they started... Yeah, yeah, like, oh. instead of using them for labor um, or anything, or They're just, like... They were trying to hide the evidence. Oh. Uh, that, or just, like, finish whatever they were doing, and that could be from anger or whatever, but also yeah. just, like, the idea of chaos, you know? Um, I don't know. So I don't know. Another one that's famous who might have had it was um, President Woodrow Wilson. Mm -hmm. The reason that that's theorized is there was a biographer that that 
was his biographer in 1919. I guess he had this altered behavior during peace negotiations at the end of World War One. And the, the biographer said that he could have had it, could have been susceptible, vulnerable to it, because before that he had several strokes and the flu was in right before 1919 when he thinks that he got the sleeping sickness, but then um, Woodrow Wilson died a few years later in 1924. Hmm. So if he'd had it, he might have ended up with chronic I don't know, but never got that far. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of interesting with a couple famous people. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot. Yeah. I don't know what else to add to any of that because, like I said, there's so much. And I I wish I can go through each story because they're all fascinating and sad. Yeah. There's, There's only one story that I read that was like he was started on the L-DOPA. He was functional, never had to change the dose, stayed on it. It was fine. There's a, there is one. There was one. one <laughs> the this one guy. One, this one guy. Oh, that's so odd. And But a lot of them didn't. They either had to be stopped or reduced or had to live with whatever side effects ended up. Like I said, some of the side effects would just be ticks or a crisis now and then. Like, okay, the patient could live. But the patients were all with it. They either, they would, oh, he did sneak it onto someone. It was that lady from Poland, I believe. Mm-hmm. He, she did not want it. And he put it in her food anyway. Mm. Unethical. But yeah. the nurse, he's like, the nurses talked me into it. I was like, F you. <laughs> Don't put it on us. So if something happens to the guy, it's our fault. That's what happens. It's always a nurse that gets in trouble. Mm-hmm. But, um. Anyway, he did, and she ended up being grateful about it <laughs> because, again, she woke up, and she was like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. And she did end up being grateful, but then, like, they're all grateful in the beginning, <laughs> and then they're later they're like, oh, my God, why did you give me this drug? I feel like I'm going to just kill me, whatever, just, you know. So it always ended up great in the beginning, and then later they're like, no, why it's did like- you... But see, then they would stop it. And mm-hmm. then they're like, okay, I'm ready. Let's do it again. And he oh, would do it again. Yes. No. Over and over. But the patients were with it. They were all intelligent, smart, witty. Um, and there were some that weren't always, like, didn't always go completely negative. But there was quite a few that did. But yeah, he snuck that in. I thought that was pretty unethical. But, I mean... He saved himself a lawsuit because she's like, yeah, I'm grateful. And then some of the families, like, they didn't want it. Like, one lady who's, oh, they, they, they put her daughter in the back room so no one could see them, see her. And they left her on the floor face down. And she, she would try to chew through the carpet. Like, oh, there is another, there's another symptom I didn't even talk about. Uh, most of them have uncontrolled saliva uncontrolled Mm -hmm. drooling so Mm -hmm. a lot of them have to wear bibs and just have to be cleaned up a lot some of them did excessive drooling but were able to like swallow it or whatever but a lot of them couldn't it was just messy drooly and the other uncontrollable thing was the sweating some of them would sweat but the drooling was pretty common Mm -hmm. 
I know you're having a grimace. It's sad. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's you're, sad. Like you're it's aware. Sad. You're aware. You're sitting there, all catatonic, and you're drooling, and people are coming in and out, and a lot of them are medical students, and they come to see you, and you're just like, and a lot of them. Oh, here's some. Here's some other stuff that I didn't talk about. A lot of them. So okay, if they got struck down with this illness in their early twenties, and then you're pretty catatonic or you're in this weird state for 30 years and you wake up, Mm -hmm. you're awake. The last time you were alive and moving around and doing stuff was when you were 20. You -hmm. lost 30 years of your life. Mm -hmm. Right. And now you're awake. That's the other thing is I think they were trying to fit so much in. They had so many feelings when they woke up that it was probably too much. Some of them were kind of stuck back in the twenties. Yeah. And when they, when they, you know, or whatever, whenever they stopped living life, there was one girl who was very socialite. She'd fly all over the country and she, I guess they were rich and whatnot. And she was a flapper kind of girl. And, Mm -hmm. um, and when she started having symptoms, they thought it was because she had a falling out with a boy, (laughs) but yeah, she just kept getting worse. (laughs) But uh, one of the things that they say a lot is that these patients hardly aged. They they looked like they were, like someone who's 40 still looked like they were in their 20s. Hmm. They said they just aged very slowly, which I thought was really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So that, that was another thing I forgot to talk about. See, there's just so much. There's so, yeah, that's there's a lot. so that's many a lot symptoms. To um, yeah, that's. Yeah. And one of the things, um, the, like I, the blocked symptom where I said like, like, okay, someone would be writing and they would just stop writing. They would be blocked. Like they just couldn't move on. But if someone mm-hmm. came by and touched their hand, that kind of gave them permission or the movement to keep going and they would just keep continuing. Or in the movie, they showed that a lot of, of unblocking, like someone couldn't walk until someone was holding their arm or something like that. Um, mm, that's so because you know dopamine is like uh, it's it's like a is, happiness. This is pre. But it's this also, is pre dopa, l dopa. These are well, all symptoms well, because they're having a lack of. They're not. They're right. Uh, yeah. Dopamine is be, is like um, low or right or non-existent. There. Yeah. And so uh, it's so it's like happiness. It's like it, dopamine feels like happiness, but it's it's the motivation. It's the want to complete something. So. Um, like or or like your goal is in sight, and so you do the action yeah. to get to that goal. So if you don't have it, um, then you have no motivation, no want, and um, or if you keep getting it, then you want to keep getting it from that one place. If you're getting solid dopamine, like that little mouse experiment where they just um, end up pushing the button and it and it stimulates uh, part of the brain to release dopamine, and he just ends up uh, doing that over and over, and then passing away because he didn't eat anything <laughs> and it's like oh no okay why did you do that but okay yeah we, we did that now we know there's compulsions. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah not so the opposite is you don't want to do anything you don't want so and it relates yeah. to your muscles too you're you can't get to one point to yeah. point a from to point b the other the other thing so one of the things i was thinking about was food so if they're not moving they do they eat? How do they eat? Well, some patients could eat. It was just 
it's like one of those they'd put the food they get them ready and they would just eat right they just mm -hmm. it's one of those things where even though they're catatonic or whatever they can eat because it's part of this routine and mm -hmm. they would eat another another thing and, and then showed in the movie and so then the movie is good because then I can kind of put it all pictured all together but the other thing is um, some of them would wake up in small spurts so they weren't completely catatonic and all that the whole time but if you played music certain music that they might like or from their era or whatever they would wake up for a little bit and they were moving mm -hmm. and doing natural things in the movie it was funny because they were trying to find the right music for each person <laughs> and so there's little ladies like like she's just sitting there until the music starts and then she's like eating no oh, and then yeah. um but then this one guy they're like trying to figure out what kind of mu music because he's just sitting there with his spoon in his hand then they played rock and roll or something and then he was like eating. <laughs> so it's really mm -hmm. funny but music tended to this is pre-med medication like there was one kid that they would put at home they would put him in front of the gramophone and he would just listen to music he loved opera and he would just listen to music all sometimes he would sing um all day and then as soon as the music was off he went back to like this state mm -hmm. so there was some moments or like if a patient had a visitor um the visitor would create this excitement and they would wake up a little bit for a little while and they were active and they were talkative or whatever but then it would mm -hmm. fade back away so there was just small moments of awakening but not for as long as when he, they were on the l-dopa because the l-dopa mm -hmm. the awakening could last a few weeks before they started having something go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and there was always something going wrong. Oh. But anyway. So yeah, that those are things I forgot to mention. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, and definitely. The, just the thing the thing about it too is it's so unknown. Like in the beginning when these people got sick, they had no idea there was going to be a chronic stage. Nobody knew any of this this is like none of this had happened before so it's really fascinating anything you want to what add? a downer i know this was a sad <laughs> one it's fascinating to me this subject is fascinating and anyone listening wants to read the book awakenings or actually go see the movie just you can rent it on amazon for like 3.99 i think mm -hmm. it's really it's a really good movie and it's not dr Sachs. it they changed the the narrative but it's definitely a good movie and it kind of gives you an idea of what um, they didn't go into a lot of background of the, the, the acute phase. It just kind of like was newspaper articles and they talked about it briefly about the sleeping sickness. It's mostly just the chronic later eight, um, part when where he's starting to experiment on all these people. I don't know if the experiments are, I mean, it, it's kind of, I feel like, it was worth a try. If I was stuck in that state, I probably would want to try. I would want to try anything, right, to yeah. be alive again. But on the other hand, if you have all of these bad side effects, it's like a double-edged sword. I don't know. I don't know what the right thing would be to do. It seems like torture, and it doesn't. At the yeah, same time. I was thinking when we uh, like the idea if I if there was any control that I could do, I'd probably be researching anything I can to see if. I can contribute in some way, but I think that's where I, my yeah. brain goes to. Well, if you want to watch the movie, let me know what you thought. <laughs>
<laughs> and if anybody out there reads it or seen the movie or um, reads the book, um, you can comment on Instagram or the Facebook Dissecting Medical History uh, page. So anyway, I think we've... I've talked long enough about this subject. <laughs> I learned. I learned a I'm, lot. And then I'm glad because um, it was for me, it was fascinating. Like I said, I knew going into this, I was going to be scattered because I didn't like there's so much. I just didn't even know how to compartmentalize any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to do a biography on this guy, Oliver Sacks, because he did a lot of work with other things as well. He's got quite a few books out there. And I really want to read some of them. And so hopefully someday I can do that. But anyway. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for. Um, <laughs> some, I have my, some people here. I have a background. visitor behind me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like mine. mine too. I got a creeper. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but anyway, I, thanks for, for listening to my my sleeping sickness story yeah thanks for having me and teaching me like it it just yeah helps me think and consider and you know you know i think it makes me grateful for yeah being able to um for having the life i have and being able to do the things i can do and being able to have these thoughts and being able to express my thoughts and like it made me grateful it really made me grateful Because you never know, like it struck down these people randomly, such a roulette, and it did make me feel grateful. So even though it was a downer, and a lot of these people are, well, they're all dead now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm alive, damn it. So anyway, um, but yeah, thanks, and um, thanks for listening, everybody, and catch you next time. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's mental vacation from your current life. If you did and are curious for more, please subscribe. Before you go, if you have anything to add to today's show or you have a topic that you think is worthy of dissection, please reach out on dissectingmedicalhistory.com or Instagram on dissectingmedicalhistory. Thank you and stay curious. <laughs>